strength of Jesus, trust is more than conqueror. With all his strength endued, and take to arm you for the fight. That having all things and all your conflicts past, ye may or come through Christ alone and stand entire at last. No unguarded place, no weakness of the soul. Take every virtue, every grace, and fortify the whole. From strength to strength go on, wrestle and fight and pray. Tread all the powers of darkness down, and win the well-fought day. Glad to see you again, and it's good to be here in Lee Summit. Glad to have the Blindbergs here with us. Uh, not uh, just a few days after we left here on our last visit, we uh, visited the Blindbergs in their hometown, Rock Valley, Iowa. It's about 30. And a beautiful area uh, of Iowa. I have I had never visited Iowa before, so that was one of three I've not been to that we have visited on this trip. And uh, so we enjoyed our time with them. Nice winter in Arizona, so they were part of our creation a number of years. Uh, they never came too much in the summertime, but in the winter uh, they would be there, and we're glad to see them here today, and glad to see each of you as well. Look forward to this time on this special day, Reformation Sunday, Reformation Day, uh, a day that the devil has to today. Growing up some years ago, back in the peace, and I, I grew up in the Washington D.C. area, and we, uh, in the newspaper, those are the days when there were newspapers. In the newspapers around this time, there would be big advertisements, various big Protestant rally, Reformation rally, and 
I was so impressed by that when I was in those days. Not only did you not find a religion section in most newspapers today, if you did find one, there would be no mention of the Reformation. So we keep that here today and rejoice in it. Now, uh, Reverend Finout has uh, asked you how I how we became free Presbyterians in one minute or less. Uh, <laughs> uh, we were university, and I heard uh, of Dr. Ian Paisley for a long time since I first became a student. So I was familiar with him, uh, less so with the denomination he represented. And then uh, I heard when we were on the faculty, a little independent Presbyterian church in Greenville that affiliated Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster. And there had been special meetings there. The previous fall of 1967, where they erected a tent on their property, and Dr. Paisley preached for two weeks, and that was the formation. For not quite the spring, still the winter, we did not have a church home, so we decided to visit Faith. Free Presbyterian Church, meeting then in a house that had been enlarged for a meeting place. And we went there and we heard a number of men from Northern Ireland whom the Presbytery sent over to supply the pulpit. And through that association, we began to develop a desire to be part of the Free Presbyterian work. And uh, two years afterward, Alan Cairns came to Greenville with his wife, having been called to be the minister. And I was one of the ones at the airport the night that the family arrived, little imagining what the Lord was going to do through all of that. I think I went over a minute, but that's how we came to be Free Presbyterians. And the story of how I became a free Presbyterian minister takes a little longer, so we'll not go into that today. This is Reformation Day, and we're going to turn to the Epistle to the Ephesians, the Epistle to the Ephesians, and to chapter 6. It was through the ministry of uh, Alan Cairns that I gained a greater appreciation for the Reformation than I had ever had before. And I say that because when I was a boy, for four years, uh, our family lived in West Germany. We, my father was stationed there in the army. We went there in 1959 and were there until 1963. We lived about 30 miles from the city of Worms, which will be important in the message here this morning. 
And I remember seeing the place on which Martin Luther stood when he made his famous stand before the Diet that met at Worms. And we will say more about that today. So when I think about those events, and I think about the influence of God's providence in close proximity to where all these things happened, uh, I say God be praised. Because from those days, I gained an appreciation for the Reformation, for what it meant to be a Protestant. When I was 10 years old, we went on a Sunday afternoon to a special service in the city of Spire, as the Germans would pronounce it. And there were dedicated replacement bells in the cathedral, uh, which were named for the reformers. The bells had been seized by Hitler and melted down for ammunition. And after the war, so this was about 17 years after the war that this event happened, after the war, a number of Protestant congregations throughout the world raised money to recast the bells. And we attended, I vividly remember, we attended a service of dedication. And I think there were probably four languages that were used in that service. And I can remember the day, everything about it, and the, the impressive uh, interior of that cathedral that we were in. So those events from my childhood are still with me today. When we were living in Germany, uh, we uh, attended the Protestant chapel on the base. And in the evenings, since the chapel was not in use, the chaplain allowed some of the men who were stationed there who had experience with the evangelical faith, they, allowed, they were allowed to conduct what we would call a more traditional evangelical service in the chapel. And one of those services, at this time of the year, they, they showed the film about Luther's life that had just come out a few years before. And that made a powerful impression on me, and especially the hymn that we sang at the beginning, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which has to be my favorite hymn to this day. So all of these influences, so I, I want you to see that there's nothing in your life that happens by chance or accident. You may wonder at the time about it, but when I look back on it now, I see how God directed me in all those things. We're going to read in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to, before we're going to bow prayer and ask God to bless us. Father in heaven, today in all thy goodness and mercy, Mary and me and all the miles that we have traveled since we were last here, we thank you for the opportunity 
that to be done today, that we pray Ephesians 6 and a famous passage beginning Be strong Lord and power of This world, wherefore take armor of God, be able to withstand in the evil. Preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, the Perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Amen. It is the word of the living God. And may the Lord add his blessing to this public reading of his precious word for his name's sake. Let us consider verses 13 and 19 especially. To you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And then verse 19, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly 
to make known the mystery of the gospel. This last week we had one course of our time together that this year is the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther's famous stand for the truth of the gospel. And I had forgotten that. Uh, I had not forgotten, but I forgot that this was the 500th anniversary this year. So I thought I should speak about this event and the significance of it, because it was a pivotal event, as has already been suggested in the history of the world. It was on April 18, 1521, so 500 years ago last April, that a door opened inside a building in the city of Worms. And through that door strode Dr. Martin Luther. He was 37 years old. He had waited outside that door for more than two years by the kind of people who inside. Inside, he encountered the Diet, or the Diet, as they would say, or the Parliament of the Holy Roman Empire. There were so many people in the room that there was no place to sit. And it was late in the day, and the shafts of the setting sun streamed through the windows of the hall and gleamed off the armor and the halberds of the imperial guards who stood in their posts around the room. There was a dazzling array of colors and fabrics that greeted Martin Luther, and the afternoon sun coming through the windows served to enhance that panorama. It was a pivotal moment in the history of the world, in the history of Western civilization. Captivating the attention of all in the room was the 20-year-old, 20-year-old, Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, also the King of Spain. He sat at the head of the room with the electors of the empire standing on either side of him. And you had in the room the bright scarlet of Roman Catholic cardinals, and you had the greens and golds and blues and purples of the dukes of the empire, personal representative of the Pope, Pope Leo X, was there, Cardinal Aleander, and he was in his traditional purple and scarlet. He was sitting very near the emperor, and was responsible for the effort to keep Luther waiting outside. It was just 24 hours before that Luther appeared in the same place, 
He traveled to Worms under the pledge of imperial safe conduct. But a century before, John Huss traveled to the council at Constance with such a guarantee and take as many the same end. So they advised him not to go. And Luther's prince, one of the electors of the empire, he encouraged Luther not to go. But messenger of the prince, Luther delivered the famous reply, go and tell your master that even should there be as many devils in Worms as tiles on the housetops, still I will enter it. So, two days before the 16th, Luther's party came to the city. And there was an impressive procession. The emperor's vanguard with banners was leading the little band of people. Luther had ridden in a wagon from his home area and he began to sing the hymn that he composed only two days before. The hymn known in German as Ein feste Burg ist unser Gott. A strong tower is our God. Or as we know it and as we sang it, a mighty fortress is our God. The next day, in the afternoon, the imperial guards led Luther into the peace of the imperial diet. Luther thought that he would be given the opportunity to debate and discuss and defend himself against the charges that he was a heretic. He was a heretic in the view of many because believe what you and I believe. But the powers of Rome determined that Luther should have no such opportunity. They wanted to prevent him from making any speeches. So they asked him two questions. His writings were all spread out on the table. They said, are these books and then, if so, are you prepared now to recant everything you have written in them? Luther hesitated for a moment. Then he said the books were his. But to the second question, he wanted some time so he could examine all that he had written to give a satisfactory answer. The emperor, against the advice of others, granted him a delay of 24 hours. And during that time, Luther spent time in prayer and prepared his remarks. The Pope didn't want Luther to speak at all. He had ex excommunicated him already. And as far as the Pope was concerned, all that remained was for the Emperor to issue the order to arrest Luther and to commit him to the flames. But, you see, the emperor had problems. As with many of his predecessors, uh, he was in a difficult position. 
if he did what the Pope wanted, he would infuriate the very princes that he needed to defend his interests against the King of France. On the other hand, if he did not grant the Pope's request, he faced the threat that France would be the Italians to topple this young man from the imperial throne. So he was looking for a middle way between those two prospects. Now, Charles V was an ardent Roman Catholic. He despised Luther and all that Luther advocated, but he could not afford to alienate men like Luther's prince, the elector Frederick, and many others from the German estates. Now, the very fact that Luther was there at all was a victory for the doctrines of the gospel. It had been just three and a half years since Luther, on this very date, October 31st, posted his 95 theses on the door of the castle church at Wittenberg. And during that claiming the gospel of justification by faith alone. Now, when he asked to have a delay before he answered the second question, some members of the papal party thought they had him on the run, that he was going to cave in. Well, if they thought that, they were about to encounter a severe disappointment. It was true, and you can imagine, when Luther entered that place by himself, he felt some intimidation. I'm sure you could understand and sympathize. But even after a long delay the next day, on April the 18th, he entered the hall by the testimony of those who knew him in perfect composure. For in had heard God's voice, God's word, knew all would be well. He did what would be of him, but he knew that all would be well. So the demand came to him again as to whether he recant. And it was a crucial hour. Think of the emperor, king of Spain. It was the king of Spain had control of the new worlds. And with the emperor, there were more than 200 of Europe's nobles and princes. And some who were there, more than a few, wanted to wipe Luther's name from the pages of history. So here was Luther then. One man... And all the world arrayed against him. He stood there. And as we read in Ephesians 6, he withstood in the evil day. And having done all, when it would seem there was no hope of reclamation, he stand. So I want us on this Reformation Sunday just to consider 
this scene a little bit. Luther's stand before the world. Here was a man who knew the scriptures. He knew what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And he... That he made to open his mouth known the mystery of the gospel. So there was Luther in the midst of the evil day. Standing for Christ in the evil day. Now today, not many people know that this event ever took place. And some who do know about it wonder what it was all about. What was all the fuss about? But we are sitting here today in a Protestant church because Luther stood before the imperial diet against the world. He stood there in defense of the gospel of a free justification against the perversions of Romanism. There are people who imagine that Rome But the fact is, Rome still believes what it believed 500 years ago. So the voice of Luther spoke against the corruption of the gospel through the addition of human tradition and called for a return to the Christian. And we do well today in benefit from Luther's stand to follow in his train, to return always, every day, to what the apostles taught. Alone. Justification was by grace alone. Justification was by faith in Christ alone. So all of the things that Luther had been to true religion, he came to understand, were impediments to it. So we take our stand with Luther on the 500th anniversary of how it was for this moment because it's a it's a the devil puts pressure on it. These that were October 30, 1517, they had spread common people. The authorities are taking steps to suggest that Luther was just another heretic. Initially, the Pope date him. The first took place in the imperial city of Augsburg just after the imperial diet met there 
in October 1518, so just a year after Luther's publication of the theses. There was an interview between Luther He was one of the ablest defenders of Romanism. And his instructions from the Pope were not to get into any debate with Luther. Luther was a brilliant debater. And those who thought they would try to trick him found out he was more than equal to the challenge. So the instructions were you simply to recant. Luther, he wanted from the Bible where he was wrong. The cardinal him off and said that the Pope is the sole interpreter of Scripture. Luther replied, His Holiness abuses Scripture. They deny that he is above Scripture. And then the Cardinal became very angry and ordered Luther to the room until he was ready to recant. But Luther wanted the opportunity to present his arguments to the world. And in 1519, so that those interviews were in 1518. In 1519, took place in the university city of Leipzig. And that was enough. Huss was. So there was a debate ostensibly between John Eck, a professor at the University of Leipzig, and one of Luther's colleagues, Andrea Karlstadt. They were going to debate Luther's theses. He a number of volumes of his library and they all over his lectern. So when Eck asked him to start paging through his volumes to see what the answer should be, Eck became very and eventually uh, we have another man here uh, that might have something to say on these questions. agreed to take he cleared all the books away and he spoke from his own heart for very long papacy used to taint Luther he said I see that you are following the damned and pestiferous errors for salvation believe that the Roman church is above all and you are espousing was nor the head of the holy catholic church Luther said it wasn't true he denied the charge but then came one 
recesses. He read of the hundred years before, and to his amazement, he learned that he believed many ideas that Luther advocating. So they after lunch. I think it was a two-hour lunch break. They had those then too. When the debate resumed, Luther said, "Among the articles of John Huss." I find many which are plain and evangelical, which the universal church cannot condemn. So here was the critical moment in this debate. Eck associated Luther with Huss. So Luther Huss. And since the name of Huss signified a goose, the implication was Luther's goose was cooked. Eventually, Luther insisted, we are all Hussites, without knowing it. Now, as far as the powers in Rome were concerned, that was the end of the whole issue. Luther was a heretic. But Luther, as we read in this passage, had on the armor of God. And he reached the determination that God led him to an important moment in history for the sake of the truth. And so he resolved, we read in verse 17, to take up more and more the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So in 1520, so we've seen 1517, 18, 19, now 1520. In that year, Luther published three notable tracts, or they were more like pamphlets. We think of a tract as something that you, you know, it's a single folded thing and easy to read in a few moments. But for them, tracts were more like what we would consider pamphlets. Luther was writing almost constantly during this period. And these particular booklets appeared late in the year and they placed Luther beyond all possibility in the church's view of reclamation. In August, he released Address to the German Nobility. In September, the Babylonian Captivity, meaning of the church. And in November, the freedom of the Christian man. The second of these tracts said that according to Scripture, there were only two sacraments. The church said there were seven. Luther, in identifying the sacraments, conformed them to the scriptural requirements, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And his attack on the other sacraments undermined the whole Roman Catholic system. And the Pope was not silent. As 1520 unfolded, the Pope issued his bull of excommunication. The Latin title of the document was Exerge Domine, 
or in English, Arise, O Lord. And here is what the Pope said. Arise, O Lord, and judge thy cause. A wild boar has invaded thy vineyard. Arise, O Peter, and consider the case of the Holy Roman Church, the mother of all churches, consecrated by thy blood. Arise, O Paul, who by thy teaching and death hast and dost illumine the church. Arise, all ye saints, and the whole universal church, whose interpretation of Scripture has been assailed. We can scarcely express our grief over the ancient heresies which have been revived in Germany. We are the more downcast because she was always in the forefront of the war on heresy. Our pastoral office can no longer tolerate the pestiferous virus of the following 41 errors. And there the Pope lists 41 errors taken from the 95 Theses. And then he went on to say, We can no longer suffer the serpent to creep through the field of the Lord. The books of Martin Luther, which contain these errors, are to be examined and burned. As for Martin himself, good God, what office of paternal love have we omitted in order to recall him from his errors? Have we not offered him a safe conduct and money for the journey? Meaning to go to Rome. Now that offer never reached Luther, so whether the Pope was telling the truth, no one knows. He went on to say, and as he and he has had the temerity to appeal to a future council, although our predecessors Pius II and Julius II subjected such appeals to the penalties of heresy. Now, therefore, we give Martin sixty days in which to submit, dating from the time of the publication of this bull in his district. Anyone who presumes to our excommunication and anathema will stand under the wrath of Almighty God and of the apostles Peter and Paul, dated on the 15th day of June, 1520. When Luther received the copy of the papal bull, and you remember in those days, when he received it, then he had 60 days to recant. Luther wrote a response. And the title of the response was, Against the Execrable Bull of Antichrist. In the first part of his response, he wrote, But whoever wrote this bull, he is Antichrist. I protest before God, our Lord Jesus, his sacred angels, and the whole world that with my whole heart I dissent from the damnation of this bull that I curse and execrate it as sacrilege and blasphemy of Christ, God's Son and our Lord. This be my recantation, O bull, thou daughter of bulls. It was October 10th. 1520 when he received this bull on December 10th Luther's associate Philip Melanchthon invited the faculty and students of the university to assemble at a set time and they started a bonfire and Luther himself consigned the copy of the papal bull 
to the fire. He said, since they have burned my books, I burn theirs. The canon law was included because it makes the Pope a god on earth. So far, I have merely fooled with this business of the Pope. All my articles condemned by Antichrist are Christian. Seldom has the Pope overcome anyone with scripture and with reason. So that was the last step, as it were, in the late year of 1520 that led to the demand that the imperial diet bring him to task. So when he appeared in the diet on that day, and he heard the questions again, he had the words of Ephesians 6 in his mind. And he was ready to stand. So he pointed out that there were 20 books, pamphlets of differing descriptions on the table before him. And he said they were in three groups. He said the first group contained writings that had to do with the basic principles of faith and morals. Writings that even his enemies acknowledged were conformable to scripture. So he said, if I recant those writings, I place myself outside the pale of what everyone agrees is Christian. So he said he couldn't recant those. The second group contained writings against the papacy, in which he attacked the moral abuses of the papacy, together with errors in doctrine and tyrannical administration. Many in that room also cried out against those same abuses. And so if he denied what he had charged, he would be guilty of covering up those abuses. So he said he could not recant those either. The third group contained writings in which he attacked those who sought to defend faith. They sought to defend the scandalous conduct that brought the cause of the whole church into disrepute. So if he denied those writings, even if some of them were sharper in tone than warranted, he acknowledged, he would be excusing the very sins for which he rebuked them. But Luther said he was ready to listen to the voice of the church speaking only on the basis of the word of God. So he urged the imperial diet, if he had spoken anything that was evil, to bear witness of the evil. After all, he acknowledged he was only a man. And he was himself subject to the word of God. But he said, such disproof must be from the scriptures. So all of that. But then he came to the conclusion of this address. It took about two hours. And he warned the assembly there of the judgment of God that was going to come. He said they were the ones really on trial in that moment. 
They stood at God's justice bar. So Luther said, this was the day of their accounting. And so many times over the years, the scriptures have called people to their day of accounting. There is judgment about to fall. The world would soon see, he said, whether they would survive in the earth, whether their houses would fall and their thrones would perish. Then he said, you should fear lest the reign of this young and noble prince on whom under God we build such lofty expectations not only should begin but should continue and close under the gloomiest auspices I might speak of the pharaohs, of the kings of Babylon, and those of Israel, whose labors never more effectually contributed to their own destruction than when they sought by counsels to all appearance most wise to strengthen their dominion. God removeth mountains, and they know it not, who overturneth them in his anger. So that was the end of his address, and he sat down to rest. But then the emperor wanted him to give the whole address again in Latin, because he understood it better than he did German. So Luther gave the whole address again, and when he concluded, the night was falling over the city. And so after all these things happened, imperial representative demanded that Luther give a more direct answer. He said, you have not answered the question. Are you prepared to recant? So to that demand, Luther said in these immortal words, since your most serene majesty and your high mightiness require from me a direct and precise answer, I will give you one. And it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the councils, because it is clear as day they have frequently erred and contradicted each other. Unless, therefore, I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or on plain and clear grounds of reason, so that conscience shall bind me to make acknowledgement of error, I can and will not retract. For it is neither safe nor wise to do anything contrary to conscience. Now, people who were there could scarcely believe what they heard. And even the scribes apparently were so shocked that they stopped recording the event. And Luther's colleagues were looking at him like, what have you just said? And Luther concluded by saying something like this. Do no other. May God help me. Amen. Almost as though he was saying, what else do you expect me to do? Some people admired the sheer courage of this monk. But the emperor was not persuaded. After Luther was dismissed from the assembly, 
He said that within 30 days, Luther would be an outlaw of the empire, and that meant anybody who found him could kill him. There would be no questions asked, and the one who did so would be given instant passage into heaven. But Luther remained in Worms until April 26th. On his return journey home, he became the victim of what appeared to be a kidnapping. It was a circumstance, as it turned out, that the elector had arranged so Luther could be hidden. And he was for a year in a castle near his boyhood home. He died in his bed nearly 25 years later. And there was a testimony to the power of God and his God against a system of perversion and corruption. About that interval between the two meetings, there was overheard by some of Luther's friends words of prayer in those overnight hours. And it gives you some sense because these were recorded of Luther's agony. He said, not aware that anyone else but God was hearing him, O God, my God, hearest thou me not? My God, art thou dead? No, thou canst not die. Thou hidest thyself only. Thou hast chosen me for this work. I know it well. Act then, O God. Stand at my side for the sake of thy well-beloved Jesus Christ, who is my defense, my shield, and my strong tower. And then he continued, Lord, where stayest thou? O my God, where art thou? Come, come. I am ready, I am ready to lay down my life for thy truth, patient as a lamb, for it is the cause of justice, it is thine. I will never separate myself from thee, neither now nor through eternity. And though the world should be filled with devils, though my body, which is still the work of thy hands, should be slain, should be racked on the wheel, cut in pieces, reduced, my soul is thine. Yes, thy word is my assurance of it. My soul belongs to thee. And here, I think, is the insight into the stand that he made. He knew his soul belonged to Christ. And we do well on this Reformation Day to observe this notable example and to be sure that we too can say, my soul belongs to Christ. When the Word of God grips your soul as it gripped the soul of Luke, then you know the truth must prevail, that the truth He stood for the gospel. Not for political philosophy. 
He knew that Christ was with him. And he knew that though he had done much already to withstand in the evil day, he still had to stand for the cause of Christ and the gospel. We can be confident today in the face of all that goes on around us, all in the world, we can have the confidence Luther had that the Lord would accomplish his purpose and bring sinners to their account. There was no reason why Luther should leave Worms alive. Many people wished he did not. But God gave to him the grace and comfort over the enemies. It was all for the glory of Christ. And here we are 500 years later. We are here today because of that stand that God enabled him to take. And now we hear the same exhortation. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Who will despise it? And they despised him. But Luther prevailed because Christ was with him. And so he was able to open his mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And that is where we stand today. We're Protestants. We are protesting against that which is false, especially in religion. There are many people willing to protest many different things, but we protest against that which is false and perverse in religion. We are here to defend the gospel that the just shall live by faith alone. May the Lord encourage you. Easy to feel that you are despised, to feel that there's only a handful of people here and who are they? But God is the one who brings the final account. And he will vindicate his cause and his servants. May the Lord give you the grace you need to persevere then, having withstood in the evil day, having done everything you know to do to continue standing for the truth. Let us bow together in prayer. Our Father, how we rejoice today in this event that in thy providence thou didst accomplish. We can scarcely fathom it. We can scarcely envision it. We have to confess we don't know what we would have done in such circumstances. But thankfully, those were not the circumstances that thou didst call us to be in. 
but thou didst give to thy servant in that day the grace he needed to stand. O oh, Father, today we beseech thee that thou wilt grant to us that same grace in our day, in our generation, to continue standing for the truth. Now we pray for any who are not believers in Christ today and who wonder at this event. Father, we pray that thou would give them the grace to turn to Christ in saving faith and so to stand in the evil day. Hear our cry, we pray. Continue thy blessing upon thy work in this place. Continue to bless thy servant. We thank thee for him and we pray that thou wilt continue to strengthen him as he continues on in the work to which thou hast called him here. Bless his family as well. Give direction in each of their lives. And, O oh Lord, we pray that thou wilt enable us all, having withstood in the evil day, having done everything we know to do, give us grace to continue standing for the truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't remember. He got in a hospital around here.